0: Welcome to the podcast of Westminster Presbyterian Church in Greenwood, Mississippi. We are a community of Christians that exists to make disciples of Jesus Christ and influence the Delta for the glory of God. More information about Westminster can be found at www.wpcgreenwood.org. Those who are going to little worship can be dismissed at this time. And if you are staying in here with us, Scriptures there in your bulletin. You can look in your Bible, but we're going to be uh, flipping around a fair amount. So, um, you know, what the Bible says about parenting, uh, it, it really matters to all of us. Uh, it doesn't matter what stage of parenting you're in or if you have kids or not. Uh, what the Bible says about parenting really matters to all of us because it says if you are a parent, uh, then you never graduate from parenting. Um, it, it may look different, uh, but, but you, you can never say, well, I've served my time, and I'm done. It, it says that if you are a believer, and if you are a part of a church family as a believer, then it, does, it really doesn't matter if you have kids or not, that, that we are all called to the role of spiritual parents as we one another, one another, in the church. And we know that saying, it takes a church to raise a Christian. And then parenting matters for every single believer because every single believer, every single one of us, is parented by God. And so as we read Scripture, everything that the Bible teaches about good parenting is, is really an opportunity to point us to our the best parent, the perfect parent, God, it points us to what, to what the music team sang this morning, that in Christ, we, uh, you have a good, good Father. And so that, that we can parent our kids in a sacrificial way because we are being parented sacrificially by God, and, and that we can serve and we can die to self and do all these really hard things because in Christ, we are being served. Uh, Christ died for us. And so the fact that God loves us just because he loves us changes how we parent as well, how we treat our kids, right? It's, um, the fact that we have security and our ultimate identity is in him means that we don't have to suck life from our kids for significance because we have all the life we need from our good, good father. It frees us up to parent in a sacrificial way. You know, it's reveling in what John said in 1 John 3, where he said, Behold what great love the Father has lavished on us. What is this great love? Here it is, that we should be called children of God. And then John says, and that's what we are. So so this matters for all of us, but when it comes to parenting, Uh, And in all the passages about parenting, there's one in particular that has had the tendency to be misused and misapplied, and so we need to, like we've been doing all summer, we need to call in housekeeping to clean up a little bit of a theological mess, right? So Proverbs 22.6, a very familiar passage for probably many of us, says, train up a child in the way he should go, and even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Okay, this one is sneaky. It, it, it sneaks up on us because on the surface, just surface-level reading, it, it seems pretty straightforward, right? I mean, how could you misunderstand that? Um, it seems to suggest that if a child was raised in the way of God, that even if that child walks away, at some point, it's guaranteed that at some point that child is going to return back. So that's one interpretation of that, that verse. Um other, you may even call them more, more liberal, uh, mainline theologians, have, they're starting to take a different approach, saying that training a child in the way they should go means to train them according to their natural tendencies. Right? They would argue that all kids are predisposed to a certain path. Uh, you may even call it a certain truth. And so parents ought to help their kids walk in their truth. And so the win of a parenting equals um, that if the, the kid, if your child is true to themselves, then you've won. Okay. And obviously there are like tremendous biblical issues with that, not least of which is that the fact that the rest of the book of Proverbs suggests very clearly that there is, by the way, a, a right path to walk in and there's a wrong path to walk in. Uh, but that also forgets the problem of sin. You know, as we've said many times that, that we're not sinners because we all kind of sin sometimes. But rather we sin because we are sinners. Uh, that we were born that way. Which means <laughs> that there's no training required for us to walk our twisted truths, our twisted ways. Um, like You don't even have to take the training wheels off for me or for any of us to to kind of walk our own natural bent tendencies the reason training and discipline is required is because this proverb is talking about one particular way and it just so happens to be the one way that we don't naturally walk uh, it's the good and the true way the way of God okay so back back to the first misunderstanding again it's easy to read this this verse on surface level and just assume this is a promise of God. That, that, and when it doesn't quite seem to pan out, we, we, we look at the promise and we say, well, God, I did my part. Why didn't you do your part? You know, when our kids don't come back. And it leaves us asking a lot of questions, asking why. What's up with that, God? Okay. Again, look, context is always king, right? And so to understand the point of this verse, we really need to understand the nature of the book of Proverbs, which is this, is that Proverbs is not a collection of promises but of principles. You know, Proverbs is a collection of these short and pithy insights based on observation and experience as to how life works best. And so principles that are generally true but not 100% guaranteed all the time which is really important and really helpful because, as Trimper Longman put it, without that understanding of promises versus principles, this verse here becomes a sledgehammer of guilt to parents whose kids did not turn out to follow the Jesus way. And it leaves them asking, well, what, what could we have done different? What could we have done better? Why, why did we fail? And then two, without this understanding of you know, promises versus principles, It may cause parents whose kids did turn out to follow the Jesus way to be puffed up with pride and say, well, look, we did it. Why can't y'all do it? No, it's and this is good theology. It's God who calls his people, right? It's God who gives the gift of faith, lest any of us, especially parents, boast. And so that's why this is not a promise, uh, but a a principle. And and so the goal of this verse is isn't a promise for us to rest in, but rather it's a principle to apply. It's a simple call to action now. It doesn't matter what you've done before this moment, now. Uh, It's an encouragement to train up our children in the Lord, to put them in the path of blessing now. And so as as the proverb or principle suggests, that as, as a matter of historical observation, when that kind of training is consistently done it usually, not always, but usually brings about positive results, especially when the child grows older and they realize that everything their parents taught them wasn't stupid. right? Okay, so with all that, let's let's read our passage with that understanding and then a few more that help us understand what it means to train up a child in the Lord. This is so important this morning. So this is God's Word. Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither, and all that he does, he prospers. My son, keep your father's commandment and forsake not your mother's teaching. Bind them on your heart always, tie them around your neck. When you walk, they will lead you. When you lie down, they will watch over you. And when you awake, they will talk with you. For the commandment is a lamp, and the teaching a light and the reproofs of discipline are the way of life. That haunting verse in Ephesians, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. See what kind of love the Father has lavished or has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. This is God's word. So every year at General Assembly, the state at clerk of our denomination begins the assembly with um, a statistical report that kind of lays the, uh, really gives us the the church landscape both in the PCA and just across the country. And, And first, some good news he shared. He said that of American churches, the PCA was one of the least affected by COVID. Not that we had less people affected by COVID, but... Just our denomination was one of the least affected. Um, Our membership in the PCA dropped only 1.25% during the COVID years, and he noted that most of that was just children uh, and children's ministries that hadn't started back yet. And and you may think 1.25, that sounds kind of bad, but when you compare it to other denominations like the Southern Baptist Church that lost 19.5% of their membership as a result of COVID, It really adds perspective. It's pretty good. But then he said that the average church in America is only now to 60 to 80 percent of their pre-COVID attendance. And more than likely, so the statisticians say that that last 20 percent, they're probably not going to come back. A few years ago, we crossed a threshold in that for the first time in our nation's history, Christianity is not the majority. Christians are not the majority. And so we do live, uh, out, even outside of Greenwood, the reality is in our nation we live in a post-Christian country in which the average attendance is half of what it was nearly 20 years ago. The fastest growing religious affiliation in America is what's called nuns, not the Catholic order, but none in that they have no affiliation, no, no, no religious connections or cares at all. of young adults in America fall into that category. And then if that's not alarming enough, here's here's the culture that we live in, and here's the culture that, you know, entertains our kids and teaches our kids and teaches us. In our culture today, only 27% of the U.S. population will be in any church this morning, 27%. And that's that's a hard number to hear. But then listen to this one. Only 14% of 18 to 34 year olds will be in any church. 14%. And then, nearly two thirds of all 18 to 29 year olds who grew up in the church, who like, of the 14% who were there, nearly two thirds of all of them at some point will, 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 will withdraw from church involvement, many of whom never come back. And so I'm not, I'm, I'm not sharing these statistics to like throw this wet blanket on us this morning, but hopefully to wake us up to the point that, yes, we live in the Bible Belt and things are rosy here, but like that is not the reality. To wake us up to the fact, or to bring us back to what Paul said, by the way, it is through much tribulation that we must enter the kingdom of God. That the good fight of faith is a fight, like it's a fight, and unless by God's grace we contend, and unless we endure, and unless we train, the world will have us, as has been seen. The world will have our kids, and so the Bible has a lot to say about parents being the primary spiritual influencers of their children, and and that, that just as we have been for whatever reason, if we have faith, we have been handed the baton of faith. And just as we have received the baton, it is also our role, our call, to hand that baton off to the next generation. But here's what the statistics say. Statistics say that we've been doing a way better job of passing along little rebels. We're really good at passing along the next generation of bulldogs. That we've done a better job of raising up good old southerners and the next generation of pleasure seekers, then we have Christians. And the reality is that we're always discipling, whether you like it or not. We're always discipling. Our kids are paying attention to what we're truly excited about. They pay attention to the stories that we tell, how we live our life. So what are we telling them? And again, look, look not to step on any toes because like chief sinner 100% here. Uh, this is convicting to me. But this is just a a pastoral observation. You know, we'll tell our kids the story of the time where we were at the game. Y'all remember that time when Eli Manning, right? Eli Manning led Ole Miss from behind to beat Auburn. Y'all remember that time? I don't tell my kids that, but some of y'all do, right? That's so great. I mean, what a great, fun year, right? Um, You know, we'll make a huge deal. Uh, it's, It's a rite of passage, and... You know, when we uh, we gift our child their first cowbell, this is a big deal, right? And and our kids get caught up in it. And look for tra- for tradition's sake, rightfully so. It, it's a wonderful tradition. I'm not trying to knock that. But what happens is our kids believe and they love and they live in and through our stories. You know, we're forming them with the stories that we share. But then we do that, but but then we can't be puzzled as to why our kids are never as passionate about the gospel. Like Why did they walk away from the church when they went to college? Why are they more excited about sports and hunting or whatever than they are the reality that God loves them? And since our passages here in various ways all call us to train, to walk, to not forsake the instruction of our father or mother, to not be conformist and just like, that's what the world does, that's what I'm going to do. Don't conform, but to be transformed by the, what? the renewal of our mind. What does that mean for us who are called to hand off the baton of faith? Well, first, it means we tell our kids the truth. Tell our kids the truth, parents. Not not Candyland Christianity because that just like that will not make it in this world. Don't give them the pad answers. Don't give them the cliches. Tell them the truth. You know Harvard's original mission statement when it was originally founded. Love it. It was this. This was the mission statement. Let every student be plainly instructed and earnestly pressed to consider well that the main end of their life and studies is to know God and Jesus Christ, which is eternal life, and therefore to lay Christ in the bottom as the only foundation of all sound knowledge and learning. The truth. Uh, Do y'all know one of the top reasons kids leave the church when they go to college or as they get older? It's because they've been taught to compartmentalize their faith. Uh, They've been taught that God is not the foundation of all truth, that he is not the foundation of all of life and joy and freedom. They've not been taught that God is like all of life. It's so much bigger than this. But rather, they've been taught that it's a Sunday morning, sit down, be quiet, and don't have sex before you're married type of a thing. And so instead of being taught the gospel, following Christ has been boiled down to most of our our kids as a list of do's and don'ts, and so I, I love that phrase Harvard. Well, they used to use um, lay Christ in the bottom. That's what parents do. We lay Christ in the bottom. It's it's a nod to back when boats crossed the ocean, and they had to put weight down in the keel, right down in the bottom, the ballast of the boat, in order to. We have to stay upright during storms. In order to cross the ocean through storms, they had to have weight down there. And and fun fact, I don't know if some of you all know this, but some of the cities on the East Coast that have these beautiful cobblestone streets, some of those were actually laid by, those are ballast stones, and what would happen was ships would leave Europe and come over here, and they didn't—they were empty, so they would be weighted down with stones in the kill of the boat. But they would get over here, and they would load down with tobacco to bring back to Europe. And with all the weight of the tobacco, they didn't need those stones anymore, so they would just chunk the stones out of the boats at the harbors. And some cities, like Charleston, uh, found a good use for those ballast stones. Um how do we lay weight in the bottom of our kid's boat? You know, how, how do we, instead of preparing the world for our kids, how do we prepare our kids to weather the storms of life? Because the reality is that on the darkest days, their travel team isn't going to be there for them. Their darkest days, their travel team will not cut it. Their darkest days, Disney's not going to put a din in it. And So just as we need Jesus... They need Jesus to be laid in the bottom, to know, and this is how we do that, we tell them the truth of the gospel, to to teach them that they are creatures. The world is not all about them, that they are creatures created with the sole purpose of glorifying and enjoying God. That was the good, the true, and the beautiful way of human flourishing. But we didn't want that. And we wanted the glory ourselves, and so we disobeyed and we walked away from God's plan. And, and ever since the fall, ever since then, because of sin, we've had this tendency to seek life in what's not life. And we've have a, had a tendency to seek identity in what does not give us identity. You have know, to seek or to, to drink from wells that all run dry and seek freedom in things that only enslave us. And we are, as Scripture tells us, we're, we're lost. We're without God and without hope in ourselves. But the gospel says, and this is what we've got to teach our kids, the gospel says exactly, you are hopeless in yourself. But something outside of you happened. God, not because we deserve it, nor anything that we've, we've ever done, simply because of his great love for his people, sent his son, Jesus. And Jesus came in history, by the way. And Jesus died and rose again in history, by the way, to forgive your sin, like your actual sin, to give you life, and to bring you back to the beginning. Uh, In Him, the reality is that you are forgiven and loved. And when the Spirit transplants that reality in our souls, you know, we are then given the privilege of following Jesus, who is the way, the truth, and the life, like in all of life. Like, that's the truth. It's so much bigger than we think. You know, sciences are the reasons that there's math and science and physics, at least what's called the hard sciences. is because early Christians knew that if all truth was God's truth, if we really believe that, and if God designed and created the universe intelligently, you know, it's, it, he established rules and laws, then that must mean that the universe can be studied and can to some degree be understood, and, and thus the sciences. And so as we give our kids the truth, um, well, well, I guess we need to be aware that, like, that Harvard and many other colleges like it have taken the source of all truth completely out. They've taken God out of the equation. So teach our kids that God is the source of all truth. Give them the gospel. Give them the truth. Second, uh, passing the baton means modeling repentance for our kids. I know that sounds like a novel idea today. Um, because it's, it's our world that says, be stubborn. It's our world that says, be prideful and never back down. You, be defensive. But God calls all oh, that, it's so foolish. The life of a follower is a life of repentance. So it's confessing and turning from our sin and to Jesus all the time. And so this is a nod to that passage in Ephesians, the passage that says, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger as you're parenting, as you're giving them the truth. Don't provoke them to anger. Ray Cortese said, you want to provoke a child to anger? Just chastise them for the very things that you do. And you know, like, guilty, right? Like, we provoke our kids to anger all the time by yelling at them to tell them, stop yelling. <laughs> um, to, we, we tell our kids to be grateful when it's clear that we are not grateful. Kids, shut up and be content. When, when we are not content, but to pass the baton of the gospel, and y'all, this i mean, this doesn't happen without grace in your life. To pass the baton of the gospel is to model to our kids that we too are sinners in need of God's grace. So, so really, I mean, give your children the greatest gift you can give them. Let them see you broken over your sin. Let them see you repenting of your sin. And so maybe I, some of y'all can do that even now, but maybe some of y'all, you know, your kids are already out of the house. So I want to encourage you to ask them a question. And again, it is only by the grace of God that you will ever have the power to, to ask this. But ask them, what was it like being raised by me? And ask them, how did I provoke you to anger? How, how did I provoke y'all to anger? And just listen, listen to what they have to say. And who knows, that that might be the beginning of something really big in your relationship. Um, So we model repentance for our kids. That's huge. Third, and and briefly, uh, in a a 24-7 world that is actively against the ways of Christ, how could we possibly stand a chance by ourselves of, of discipling our kids? We need help. And, and by God's grace, he's given us help. You know, to pass the baton is to raise kids who know, and we teach our kids this, we, who know that they can't make it on their own, that they need, like need gospel community. Can't make it on their own. You know, when we uh, have children here, we baptize children Most all of you, I think, you stand and you take a solemn vow. Like you promise before the Lord and these parents um, that you are going to help the parents raise the children in the Lord, right? Like you're going to help tell them the truth. You're going to help model repentance. And that could mean so many things, but really the low hanging fruit of that, at least here right now, is helping by volunteering in the children's ministry. By volunteering in the nursery. Um, I don't know if you're aware of this, but our nursery and kids' ministry has exploded lately. And uh, we need volunteers. Like, the volunteers we used to have isn't enough. We need we need more. And so, um, our usher teams have been given some new duties um, be- because it's necessary for that. Um, and so, I just want to encourage you, be mindful of your membership vows, the vows that you take uh in being this community that helps raise these kids in the Lord. It's, it's hard, but it demands sacrifice. Um, also, if you have kids in junior or senior high, I want to encourage you, just get them to the youth group. Um, send them on the retreat, send them to the conferences, and if cost is an issue, allow the church to help you with the cost, because one of the best things that you can do aside from modeling the gospel for your kids is to get your kids around people who are actually passionate about the gospel. like To get them around people who love Jesus. And so if we're going to hand the baton of faith, community isn't a want. I mean, like it is essential. Like All the other extracurriculars, all, this, all that other stuff can go. But regular gospel community is a need. It's the last man standing. Okay? And then finally, we pass the baton by reminding our kids of the true mission. Remind them of the mission. You know, if, if we were made by God, if we're creatures of God, then our ultimate sense of purpose has to come from our maker, has to come from God, not from Cosmo and not from the Kardashians. And not from the latest, greatest TikTok meme thing that we all want to dance and do. And so as we look at the opening pages of Scripture, really that's exactly what we find. God gives us the purpose. And it's different from what our world gives. God said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. In other words, marry and have children and fill the earth with people who know and love God and and cultivate the earth. Some of our farmers do that really well, all right? Uh, Plant crops and build schools and dig wells, compose music, create art, teach students, and live life for the glory of God. You're creating something. You're doing something for God's glory. But again, we know this. This is not Pollyanna. Ever since the fall, this mission is really hard. It's not easy because we have a world that's broken, and we are broken. And yet, if we are in Christ, not only are we saved from hell, which is a great thing, but we're actually called to follow Christ in mending this broken world, as we said a few weeks ago, to, to whatever we can do to just tear off a little corner of the darkness. And um, you know, this speaks to vocation, doesn't it? This speaks to why you do what you do, and kids, like, what majors you choose in college, and why you want to do what you do in, in college. It, it shows us everything, and it's the parents' and the church's job to prepare our kids for the mission, because outside of the church, here's the reality, outside of the church, our kids are being sold a bill of goods, which is called the American Dream, Get rich quick so you can retire quick and just have fun, right? And it's, it is fun. But when it comes to mission and really this whole topic, there's been an elephant in the church for a while now. Um, our, our boys aren't growing up. Um, boys just kind of keep hanging out and being adolescents their entire life. Um, pastors will say that they have a church filled with young women who are pursuing the Lord, who are serious about the mission, but they're single because there are no men. Like, no men walking the same way. And, and yet, what our, not the church, but what our culture outside of the church is telling us is that boys are desperate for mission. And they're desperate for purpose. Again, they've just been sold the wrong one, a lesser one. You've probably heard of Jordan Peterson, I'm sure by now. Uh, Jordan Peterson is not a Christian, at least not yet. Um, But he does, even as a non-believer, he seems to recognize that Christianity offers what the world can't. It's impossible. And what's interesting is that his listening audience consists of almost entirely young men who long for purpose, long for mission, and so this past week, I'm not sure if any of y'all saw this, this past week, Jordan Peterson released this video message to Christian churches. I'm like, who is he to tell anything to a church? Um, and obviously not everything he said was theologically sound, but he said this, and I, I thought this was pretty good. He said, your churches, for goodness sake, stop fighting for social justice. He says, quit saving the bloody planet and attend to some souls. That's what you're called to do. And so he said, look, put up a billboard that says young men are welcome here, and they'll come. But here's the shady part, he said, and this is horrible theology, but we're going to deconstruct this in a second. He said, the Christian church is there to remind men that they have a woman to find, a garden to walk in, a family to nurture, an ark to build, a land to conquer, a ladder to heaven to build, and all of life to face stalwartly in truth, devoted to love and without fear. Someone that's true. All right, here, here's the deal. As we think about mission, Jesus does offer the way to bring to bring order to the chaos. But the mission isn't like, all right, kids, just go out there and just do it. Just just go do do hard things. As Stephen Wedgworth said, the gospel doesn't merely return us to Eden and then tell us to slay the now slay the dragon. The gospel doesn't tell us to build a ladder to heaven. No, rather the mission comes through grace. It comes through knowing the gospel that says we don't build the ladder to heaven. That Jesus Christ is the ladder to heaven. Jesus is the way to heaven. And we don't kill the dragon, but rather God killed the dragon by plunging the cross of Christ into its skull. And in Christ, God meets us where we are. And he embraces us in his love, and he welcomes us into the big house. And Wedgworth concludes saying, Only after grace, only after experiencing God's love for us in Jesus, will we be able to marry and garden and build and conquer, but we will be able to. It's a mission that is not impossible in Christ. And so to understand the mission, we have to be captured by grace. And so if, you, if you're a parent, don't, don't lose hope. Keep giving your kids the good stuff, even if they're old, old, old. As they're aging, just continue giving them the good stuff however you can. Keep modeling faith. Hold out the baton and keep parenting. If for no other reason than you are being parented by God. And it's believing this, again, as John said, See what kind of love the Father, our Father, has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. Amen? let me pray for us. Father, you you call us to some very weighty things that we can't possibly do uh, by ourselves, but thank you that you are with us. Uh, thank you that even as we hold out the baton of faith, uh, and we seek to be, to be diligent and obedient. It is still your spirit that woos our, our children to you. So we ask that you would do that uh, to our children, that you would continue to convince them and teach them um, what is good and true and beautiful. Uh, Lord, call them home, call them to yourself, And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Hi, Richard Owens here. I just wanted to take a second to say thank you for listening to the podcast of Westminster Presbyterian Church. Our prayer is that the Lord would use this message to encourage you in the gospel and that you would find Jesus to be more beautiful than you ever, ever imagined. If you'd like to find out more about who Jesus is or more about our church, I invite you to visit our website at wpcgreenwood.org. God bless.